The following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. You're listening to the Fezcast. Welcome, everybody, to the next edition of the Fezcast. And joining me is Sam and Matt. Um, how are you doing, gents? Had a good weekend? All good. All good. Happy days. Great result. Can't complain. Yeah, same here, really. Uh, it's good to be sitting here with uh, with Norman Collier and, and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, internet. It's, uh, well, one day we'll be all be able to uh, sit in a, a lovely studio and do this all together. But yeah, I, I take it you guys were at the game. I watched it on um, on BT Sports. So I had the joys of Ben Kay and um, and Austin Healy with Nick Mullins. But well, we we had the joys of sitting in the stadium, not having a clue what the hell Wayne Barnes was doing. So you know, it swings and roundabouts, I suppose. He was making tackle, making tackles. That's what he was you doing. Know, I tell you, what, that was a great, that was actually yeah. a bad tackle. He should have got, you should have got yellow carded for that. Really, that last one. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about referee inconsistencies a bit later on in in the show. Uh, we're going to split it down into three parts. We're going to talk about the women's rugby in our first part. Then we're going to talk the wider world of rugby. You know, the ongoing financial viability of clubs, and then refereeing inconsistencies because it's been a fair few. And in part four, we'll talk about the Sharks and uh, a certain um, young lad who, uh, who played at fullback and went to 10 and um, uh, impressed everybody, I think. So uh, let's have a word from one of our uh, sponsors, advertisers, and then we'll come back and talk women's rugby. <laughs> Listening to the Fezcast, which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association. And I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players, and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that, Every year we have a seasonal SSA badge, which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast. Well, welcome back to uh, the Fezcast with me. Jez and Sam and Matt and yeah, um, first things first. Women's rugby on the weekend was a bit of a uh, well. <laughs> the the game against Wasps was on. Was surprised it was on with the given the the situation with the with the Wasps club themselves, and then it was called off at the very last minute on Saturday. I understand due to issues that you know out of people's control but a crying shame but it was good to see that a lot of people had gone down there had a time with the girls um had a couple of drinks with them and had a chat but yeah so sad to see the game going by the wayside 
Yeah, there was um, some quite good pictures going around of everyone in, enjoying a drink and things. But one, I, I didn't actually uh, ask her in the end, but, but May Campbell stuck a picture of, of herself out, obviously carrying a couple of beers. She'd just come back from the bar. But she, uh, it was all put together in grayscale. There was a little caption underneath saying, uh, get the pints in. But it, it looked like the sort of thing you do when someone's died. <laughs> it was really quite confusing for a second. But May is absolutely fine, I can assure everyone of that. But yeah, it looked like... They, they made the best of a good day. Unfortunate situation that, uh, that led to the game being cancelled, as has happened a couple of times in the women's game over the last couple of years, which does need to stop, but we best not talk about that one. But uh, yeah, made a good thing of it anyway. I mean, to be honest, it's just good. It was even good that the, the game potentially could have gone ahead considering what's going on with Wasp. So, um, and uh, the fact that there was a bit of a crowd down there, maybe it might entice the men's team to when they do get back to playing, to think about going back to their roots, because clearly there's there's still a love of rugby down in that part of the world for the Wasps team. Well, indeed, and we'll pick that up in the in the in the next part because there's been news there. As I say, yeah, May Campbell. If there's somebody you wanted to carry a couple of pints back from the uh, the bar, May's uh, a, a safe pair of hands there. Certainly not going to be any spillage, is there? <laughs> and of course, then um, we move on and so, and say that I, for those of us who well, I didn't get up particularly early. I recorded the game and did the old likely lads thing. And I mean, for those of you too young to remember the likely lads, the episode where they tried to avoid the game of football result, the England match, only to find out after avoiding it all day that it had actually been called off. Uh, me and the missus got up with the dogs at about five o'clock and um, we'd had it on record. But yeah, a thoroughly uh, impressive performance, I felt, from a very clinical and professional England side against Australia. Uh, Australia stuck at it. They did well, scored a lovely try, but second half in particular, England really did show that next step up that you need going into knockout rugby. Do you, do, do you agree, guys? Yeah, well, I, I, I am um, embarrassingly, I caught the, a bit of the first half because I was still up. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so how good my recollection is, uh, is, is, I don't know, remains to be seen. But from what I did see and from, from reading a bit about the game afterwards, obviously it was a massive washout. It was like playing rugby in a bath. But, um, what, what, what I thought looked pretty decent is the fact that the, 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 England have become quite well known for being able to chuck the ball around and they had, they were forced into playing a very different game. Um, to maybe how they would have wanted to. And they, I think they adapted very, very well. We know that Australia are the, you know, the greatest side to ever have lived, but at the same time, slightly better opposition than maybe they've come up against. And they stuck to it, put in a result and still gave them a bit of a hiding, even though, as I said, they were basically playing in a bath, weren't they? And uh, yeah, I mean, more suited to uh, uh, Tom Daly. Uh, <laughs> as I pointed out, what I didn't, what we didn't see was anybody uh, making a dive from the 22 for the line. Because I think, uh, quite potentially, if you had started your dive early, you would quite possibly have made it. But yeah, great to see Marley Packer as well. You know, friend of the first cast, been on with us in season two. Three uh, tries, a typical Marley performance, meters made, tackles made, turnovers won. Just outstanding performance. Yeah, I think Marley's um, someone who you look at the the weather and you think, yeah, she's probably well up for this. It's just a sort of rough game that I think she she really would have enjoyed. And I was uh, burning the candle at both ends over the last few days, so I was sitting trying to write a bit of a dissertation while watching the rugby at at both half past ones in the morning. It was very very confusing that actually sort of having the first half kick off and then finish ten minutes before it started. If you can follow that logic, <laughs> but. Uh, 
<laughs> it, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting game. And um, yeah, like you say, more like playing water polo than, than rugby. And I, I had a lot of sympathy for uh, Zoe Allcroft, who got yellow carded for uh, for a clear out at a ruck. But, you know, you've got to go in and be, be careful how you're playing. But there was absolutely no chance that she could stop. She tripped over another player. She was running on water and just managed to barrel into someone. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty unfair, really. And probably why she got a yellow card rather than uh, anything else. But... No, it was um, it was a good performance in the circumstances for England. It obviously got easier in the second half, kicking towards towards the shallow end. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the, I'm I'm really hypercritical of um, of the England women's team at the moment because they've they've just constantly winning games. You've really got to pick holes in what they're doing just to just to see how it's progressing. And actually, the only issue I've got is with selection. Believe it or not, in in that match, I was a little bit. <sighs> I mean, the weather obviously didn't play into their hands, but selecting Helena Rowland at 15, fantastic, fantastic player. Um, and there was a reason she wasn't selected in the centres ahead of anyone else. But it's, it's almost like Simon Middleton has gone, you know, she's a, a fantastic player and she needs to be on the pitch somewhere. So he slotted her into a position that's not really hers. Um, and in that game where it was built in Dama Rain, it really didn't work. And I hope it's not knocked her confidence a bit because she didn't have a fantastic match um probably would have been better off if you did want to play the way we did having her on the bench and having her come on at 10 or 12 um and making the impact that she normally does but hypercritical um something that we've learned to go into the semi-final and we'll see what happens against a pretty physical Canada side absolutely that's the thing isn't it? it's going to be a big physical game next week against Canada again a very early start or a likely lad scenario of recording it and hoping not to see the result. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it, hugely so. But let's have another word from an advertiser and then we'll come back with um, some discussions about the wider world of rugby, shall we say. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Alex Lewington and I'm a proud Loose Heads Ambassador. I'm Sydney Gregson and I'm a Loose Heads Ambassador. We're a rugby mental health charity working to tackle the stigma. You can find us at Loose Heads on all social media channels or at looseheads.co.uk. The Loose Heads mission is to place a mental health lead at every rugby club. Get in touch now to find out more. Take care and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Enjoy the rest of the pod. Well, welcome back to the next part of the Festcast with Sam, Matt and myself, Jez. And time to discuss the wider world of rugby. And I, I don't think we need to do too much here. But Worcester Wasps is an ongoing soap opera in rugby at the moment. It's good to see the proper rugby people. And as much as uh, Steve Diamond's not a guy that um, we necessarily have a great deal of love for, he is a proper rugby guy. He does give a monkeys about the game and the clubs that he's been involved with. Even when he was at Saracens, we knew that. Um, but it's good to see him working hard to try and get Worcester back there. And it appears that Wasps may well be finding a buyer. Uh, it doesn't involve the, the football ground or anything like that. It's just going to be Wasps 
men's and academy at the moment, hoping that the women and the netball will get involved in that some way. But there's a way back for these clubs into the game that we're not going to lose these big names, even if they have to start a little bit lower down the leagues and, and make their way back up again. But that's got to be good news, isn't it, Sam? Oh, massively. Um, you know, funny enough, I was, I was talking about this at the weekend, how it's almost very, it, it's a shame geographically that we've got two teams that effectively cover a similar geographical area at the moment um, that have both found themselves in this situation. Because when we talk about grassroots, when we talk about players coming through, you know, in, in lower leagues and having opportunities to play at a higher level, effectively the West Midlands does not have a premiership team at the moment. Um, and and we need, we need that, that area of the country to be covered. It's a big one. There's lots of amateur rugby clubs in the area. Um, and, uh, and, and we need both those teams back playing at the highest level, uh, you know, as soon as possible. If it needs to be in the championship, if it needs to be a bit lower and they come through, you know, we, they, they've got time to come back up. Um, particularly, I mean, there, there is part of me living relatively close to Worcester. There's actually part of me that is is quite looking forward to maybe going and seeing a couple of games in the championship uh, with Worcester next season, um, supporting them and, and, and you know, hoping that they, they get back to where they belong in the premiership as well. But no, it, it is good news. And it's actually good news that both sets of buyers seem to have proper rugby backing behind them you know there are people within the game rather than just some you know rich rich uh, foreigners coming in like in in the football um, and just buying up these clubs it's actually people that have rugby at their hearts that hopefully will um we'll, we'll see both those clubs um get a really good sort of stable backing um as i said instead of it all being about the rugby there's going to be a bit of heart in there as well so all good and long long may those negotiations um you know stay positive and hopefully both those clubs have new buyers within the next couple of weeks and they can start planning for the future which you know surely will be more rosy than their most recent past absolutely i mean for, for worcester it's, it's great because obviously they're in a situation where there's an existing grounds there's an existing infrastructure and everything like that what's was slightly different as to where do they go now i mean they're becoming a bit of the hobos of um of rugby uh, you know do they come back to london which i think would be a mistake unfortunately for them for the simple reason that they'll be coming in at the same level potentially as like Ealing. we've discussed this so many times before about having a catchment area maybe oxford is a potential for them or even further south reading newbury swindon something around that area could perhaps support it you don't know i mean there's plenty of options oxford united are talking about building a new ground out on um, an existing rugby uh place that costs at all blacks uh so you know there's potential there but that's going to be an interesting story to follow but as i say we reiterate what you say there sam and uh, i hope that everything goes cushy for them and for their fans in particular they deserve deserve um all the luck they can get Moving on in this section, the, the big talking point from the weekend um, and does include one of, well, a couple of our players, but refereeing inconsistencies. And I've seen quite a lot of traffic over social media, in particular, reference uh, Mr. Maxwell Keyes' refereeing and his team on the Queen's London Irish game. And I, I've seen an awful lot. Tom May's one player, who ex-player, who's highlighted the um, challenge under the high ball that was just not punished and ridiculously so. 
I brought it up with Stuart Barnes actually um, on on Twitter and mentioned, you know, where I said that I felt that incident was far worse than the one that Elliot Daly got deservedly yellowed for. Stuart made the point that he thought that Elliot did make a bit of a naughty grab at the foot when he took the player out. I don't think it was naughty. I think it was just an involuntary thing that happened. But I think on the game on on um, against Sharks, if Elliot had seen red for that challenge, I don't think there have been too many people who would have actually complained about it because it was dangerous and it was reckless. But it was less so than the one that went completely, like the unpunished Quinns versus uh, Irish. What's your reading of the situation, Matt? Oh, yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say, I think, yeah, Elliot was, you know, an extra bit of rotation of someone else's body away from being red carded. That, you know, that was, doesn't matter whether it was deliberate or not, it was dangerous. If the guy had landed on his on his neck or his head, then yeah, red card. Um, which is why I don't think any of us can believe why the, uh, the incident in the Quinns match wasn't, you know, even given as a penalty. Um, yes, the, you know, the, um, the Quinns player is, is challenging for the ball. But if you arrive at the ball second, it's entirely your responsibility for the welfare of both of you. You know, it doesn't matter whether you, if you've got eyes on the ball all the way through and you don't know the other blokes there. If you've arrived second, you're the one that's going to get punished if something goes wrong. Um, and it wasn't just the fact that Maxwell Keys didn't give anything on the pitch. It's the fact that there is a TMO there. The TMO did look at it and they still just gave nothing it's it does does baffle me a little bit um i must admit i didn't watch the game live so i I don't know the full detail of exactly how that process happened but there is a video ref there and it will have been looked at it's in a crucial moment of the game and that that was the difference between london irish winning and not um i find it hard to have any sympathy for london irish but i won't go into that but uh you know it's it is a strange one I do. I, I feel for London Irish a little bit this season that they're bottom of the pile, and I don't think they're the worst team in this league. Um, so, you know, that that aside, I mean, that isolating that instant, I've watched it a couple of times now. It's a, it's, it's at least a yellow. It's at least a yellow. There's not one person I think that's watched that apart from the refereeing team that that have, that have thought otherwise. But um, I think you're right about daily. You know, there's a couple of people around me that were kind of a bit up in arms about it, and I basically said, look. The way I always look at these is if it was if it was the other way around, would we be calling for a card? And ultimately, we would be, wouldn't we? So the other, the other, um, well, I thought you know, um, Earls was a, was definitely yellow. Um, the other, the one I thought was a bit of an odd one was was Tompkins. I thought he was a bit unfortunate. The the, the sale player basically pirouetted into his face. Um, he didn't really have a lot to to do with that, and I thought that was a, a, a bit of a bit of a strange one. Um, so yeah, just. A few inconsistencies maybe in our game. Um, but what do you know? One thing, talking about refereeing decisions uh, and cards and stuff, I don't know if any of you saw the uh the red card for Retallick in the um in the game in the New Zealand game against Japan. I mean, fe- number one, what if you if, if anyone's listening to them watch the highlights, watch them because it was a cracker. Um, but uh some New Zealand fans and media and stuff are absolutely up in arms that that was a red card. I mean, it that's an eight-week ban for me. It was disgusting. Absolutely, oh, boring. <laughs> absolutely, and uh, this is the, the 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 issue I have with refereeing inconsistency at the moment. And it, I got involved in a in a Facebook um, debate, shall we say, with people. You know, with the oh, the game's gone soft brigade. No, it hasn't. If anything, it's got harder. 
But there are certain areas of the game that aren't policed correctly, that aren't refereed correctly, and one of those is the breakdown. There are certain teams and certain coaches that I believe go out and coach their teams to hurt players at rock time. The, the amount of times you see players over the top, past the ball, dangerous, and Brody Retallick was a red all day. And in fact, if I was a referee, I'd have given him a red, then called him back onto the field to give him another red. It was that serious. And, and you'd think that now, really, he should be out for the whole of the autumn series on a ban for it. Because it was, as you say, it was. It wasn't only reckless. I mean, he, he could have he could have quite considerably broken the 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 neck of the the Japanese fella, and it was it was telegraphed. You know, everyone could see it coming. Um, you watch the highlights, and I actually wound it back to watch it again. And he's going in. You can see the angle that he's about to take. He knows exactly where he is looking to hit that man. So for me, it's almost it's as intentional as it comes. Um, and it could have been career ending for the other guy. Um, so yeah, for me, he should be reprimanded to the you know the highest degree as possible um, to set a precedent that whether you play for the All Blacks or whoever you play for, no one's invincible. Um, you do something like that, and it's going to be taken very seriously. But yeah, but l- luckily the other lad seemed absolutely fine, just popped back up <laughs> like, like nothing had happened. Absolutely, you're good for him. That's the interesting thing is it? the argument that a lot of people put out is that the player was illegally jackling. Doesn't matter. If he's illegal, the referee blows a whistle and says that's illegal, there's a penalty against you. Mm. You, as a player, do not take that into your own hands. That is no mitigation that he's not, he shouldn't have been there. Tough. The referee is the man in charge. And I, I really do think there are certain players in world rugby, there are certain coaches in world rugby at domestic and international level um, who almost have an aura about them that means that referees won't take them on and deal with them. And, you know, Nigel Owens for all of his look-at-me, look-at-me referee, which is the criticism I'm going to give of Wayne Barnes from the weekend as well. It was a very much, look-at-me, look-at-me, I've got a whistle in my hands, or I'm going to say something funny now. I, I Just referee the game. But Nigel Owens was a referee who would have turned around and no grace for five or whoever it's. Brody Retallick, Eben Estebev, Maro Toji, whoever it may be, he'd have no qualms about saying no. And it would be the same as if he was refereeing a club game at Pontypool thirds versus Abavan seconds or something. He'd do the same. And that's what you want. You want a consistency from the refereeing. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I hope is the scene, and Wayne Barnes, you know, everybody can have an off day. Craig Maxwell Keys is not a bad referee. He's just having, I think, a few poor games at the moment. Perhaps he needs to step back, have a re a refresher, have a look at what he's doing, have an experienced referee. There's loads of referees who've retired, perhaps out of the game that could, you know, you see referee assessors turn up at club level. They should be being assessed, and I'm sure they are, and I'm sure that they all sit down on the Monday, have a Zoom call like we're having. Um, and have a chat and somebody's going to take the mickey out of Wayne Barnes or getting in the way too often or someone's going to turn around to Craig Maxwell and say, mate, you got that one badly wrong. That's got to be the hope, hasn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt for a second that, that Maxwell Keys, Claire Hodnett and whoever the assistant referee was on that, that side will give the bloke on the other side of the pitch the benefit of the doubt. But the, um, the three of them will, you know, they probably had a look at it a couple of hours later and gone, uh-oh, 
<laughs> we're in for something here. And, and like you say, people people have a bad day. Players players drop balls. Players make bad tackles. Players get red carded through accidents. It, referees make mistakes as well. It it does happen. And but what does happen is players, if they're in bad form, some coaching is done. Things are done differently. They might get dropped for a bit. They might have less of an impact in the squad. I don't, I don't know. Um, like you say, Craig Maxwell Keys is still a good referee in general. Um, Claire Hodden is still a good TMO, I think. Um, th- they'll come back. They'll have better days. That's all you can ask for, really. You know, people just look at what's happening there. At the end of the day, we talk about inconsistencies in refereeing. Well, everyone's human. Yeah, I, th- I think do you know what it was? there was a there was I think just a, around me. I don't know how it came across on the TV, Jez, but the game on Sunday was. Was that Wayne dropped off his his normal level? Everyone knows what an amazing referee he really is. He's really one of the top referees in the in the world. Um, but he, he he did seem to not just get. Now that I've watched a few of the highlights and stuff, he he maybe it was a bit. It wasn't necessarily as one sided as we thought it was. I think maybe he, he did just genuinely have an off game. So I think there was a lot of sale fans that were up in arms about a few decisions. The the, the Taylor try that what wasn't. Um, seems to be one that the sale fans have picked up on. I don't think it's double movement or, or whatever. The tackle wasn't made, etc. So, you know, like you say, Matt, everyone's entitled to an off day. Um, and the thing is, is we're all sitting here right now criticising. I guarantee you that those referees are the, their own biggest critics. They will go back and they'll be analysing those videos and they'll look at everything they've done wrong. The same as any any player would do. Gotcha. Um, now, you've, now you've said that as well. It, it, the, the one thing that we you know might have to change is there was a few comments around me and I did did agree with it actually that Wayne, Wayne Barnes you know he might have had an off day with some of the decisions but he actually seemed to be a little bit behind the pace of the game which is why I mean <laughs> we um you know we, we have already joked about his positioning and the fact that he made two tackles against us in the game but he just didn't seem to be in the right position a lot of the time and I don't know whether he was just struggling to keep up with a fast-paced game or whatever you know he's 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 a good referee. He's been around a while, but he's probably towards the end of his, his career as a ref. So that is the only worry. But yeah, I I don't want to criticise him too much. But yeah, you do have to you do have to look at the fact that you know he put in some very dodgy tackles. Yeah. I mean, the the, the the thing you've got to remember in relation to to, to Wayne uh, in this game is quite simply, I don't think he had the best game, but it was the wasn't the best game for both sides. It didn't really affects one side worse than another. You know, it was just, as you, as you said, perhaps he wasn't keeping up with with pace of the game as well as perhaps he would have done five seasons ago. And yeah, he had an off day, but it was he was consistent in his off dayness. A lot of what the sale fans have come up with and said, um, I disagree with that. I mean, the, the tries, the two tries that were chalked off were completely correct to be chalked off. Um, and I think he got, as you say, he got two of Saracen's cards absolutely bang on. You know, just one of those things. It's it's fine margins at the end of the day. But that's talking about one of the negatives of the game. Let's have a word from one of our advertisers and then we'll come back and talk about a lot of what was so good, so good, so good on the weekend. <laughs> this is the Fezcast. Hi, 
This is Jess from the Fezcast to tell you about another one of my passions. I love music. And I have my own radio podcast station, Taka Blow Big Radio. This is the home of great music presented by myself and my friends, be it folk, rock, indie anthems, progressive music, you name it, we've got it covered. So if you want to listen to some great music, tune in to us at mixcloud.com slash tarkablowpig. You're listening to the Fezcast. That will be that will be the title of the show. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I, as soon as I, as soon as I thought of it, I was like, "It has to be, has to be." There's, there's no there's no other option. <laughs> I just you know, it's a song that can be consigned to the, not even the, the just the bin. I thought you were going to say the, the depths of hells. <laughs> <laughs> it could just just the bin. As I said, as I said in the um, in the in the uh, WhatsApp, it says you can diss Steve Diamond, Neil Diamond, you leave alone. The man's a genius. <laughs> oh, he's rolling in cash for his shit song as well, isn't he? <laughs> right, let's move on and let's do the last part. Well, welcome back, <laughs> and as we said. <laughs> Right, uh, let's uh, let's try again, shall we? Jez feels like the school teacher, and he's got the two, the two naughty kids. He's had to help help back afterwards. <laughs> you shut up! I tell you what, if I was next, you know, you would have got those headphones would have been bedoined. You're listening to the Fezcast. To the So, welcome back to our last part of this edition. We really can't talk about the game on the weekend without mentioning the record-breaking appearances of Alex Goose. The I mean, I wasn't at the game, but watching it on on telly, seeing Francois Pinar clattering to quite a lot of uh, Santa Million by the looks of things, or uh, South African Red, maybe. I don't know, one of uh, Schalkberger's... Uh, bottles or two uh seeing chris chesney looking like the uh the security guy he obviously is um but also seeing other legends like philippe um Cellar and michael liner paying tribute to let's be honest about it saracen's greatest player i think you know you cannot look at that lad and not look at his longevity his abilities what he's done in the club game and yes it's a crying shame that he wasn't allowed to do that in the international game but that's Eddie Jones's cock up nobody else's but yeah an amazing club servant you know and it, it would be even more performances other than his brief sojourn in Japan but yeah him walking out with his young lad Remy with him onto that pitch I mean that had to be an emotional moment and an emotional moment that Sale picked up on by kicking the ball straight down his throat from the from the kickoff. I wonder whether the emotion was going to get too much in there, but yeah, no, what a great start and what a fitting tribute to to an absolute club legend. He's um he's been he's been one of my if not my favourite player for as as long as I can remember. I just I love watching him play. Um, is his most underrated um, thing about him is is his brain. 
that he is one of the most like he's got one of probably one of the biggest rugby IQs you're going to come across. You watch him in a game, his positioning is always absolutely spot on because he reads it better than anyone. It's why he can play 10, it's why he plays can play 15. He'd probably be a cracking hooker, to be honest. I just I can't say enough about him on and off the pitch and in the pub. He is top notch 10 out of 10 every single week. I think that's right, actually, Sam. What you say there. He's he's a throwback to the amateur game with a professional attitude. You know the fact that you're seeing full cap, um, full kit, wankering after cup finals in the pub on the beers for days on ends. That may change now that obviously young Remy's come along. But I mean, yeah, it's a throwback from amateur days, but with a professional attitude that has allowed him to have 340 games. Well, will be 340 games to the club, plus the games he played, plus 20 odd internationals for England. Absolutely superb, Matt. Yeah, and um, actually. <laughs> You say of quite an emotional moment. I'm not ashamed to say that me and my dad standing there in the stands, almost sort of, we we sort of got a bit a bit emotional about it. So it's a it's a very big moment, and um, and I I actually did turn to my dad and say, "You watch, you watch what's going to happen now. They'll kick it straight to him, and he's going to drop it." And actually, in an interview with Goody at the end of the game, he said exactly the same thing. But fortunately, he did catch it and was immediately buried by about six sail players. So that got him got him involved quite. Quite well, and then uh, yeah, thrust into uh, into playing ten for most of the game too. But he's he's just he's one of those players. He's he's not he's not. You pick any skill in rugby, he is by no means the best at any of them. But like Sam said, he's he's just his intelligence, the, the rugby brain that he's got, just sets him apart from from so many players. He doesn't look like he should be a very good rugby player. Really, there's just there's just something about him. He just doesn't. He just doesn't. You wouldn't look at him and go rugby it's he's just got that temperament that skill set in his head and just the confidence to give stuff a go really is 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 what sets him apart and he's just ultra consistent um uh, you know we actually said on the show maybe a month ago um a game that he played he was starting to show his age um but then he's all of a sudden on a big day for him where he could have choked under pressure really he's, he's turned out and I, I mean, I said to said to my dad after twenty minutes, "You, it doesn't matter what happens in this game. Now he's going to be given man of the match." But actually, he probably did deserve it, uh, barring one or two other players who were just as good as him. But yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely, Matt. I I totally agree with you. And typified by his try, exactly what you're saying, Sam. The fact that he saw that try on before anybody else on that pitch. Uh, you know, it was that pass was coming to him. He knew the second row was going to um, blitz out. He knew there was going to be a gap there. And you, like all the great players, you know, you look at footballers. Ray Wilkins was never blessed with pace, but he could see something happening a long time before anybody else. Glenn Oddle was another one. The same Trevor Brookin, never great pace, but they saw what was going to happen and they did. And you know, that first ten yards is in the brain and. And he exploited that beautifully. Well, you know, um, Mark McCall said in the um, in the week he actually said um, that they they played a video for the for the the rest of the squad, like almost like a, a tribute video for him. And some of the younger players in the squad were actually quite astonished at the level that he has been playing at for the length of time that he's been playing at. And McCall followed it up and said, you know, tell me, t- remind me the last time, you know. Uh, Alex Gu had a, had an even an average game, let alone a bad game. I can't think of one. 
he always has, he's always at least a six or a seven out of 10, at least every single game. He never has, a, he's never played a five in his life. And considering how long he's been at the club now, and, and like you say, chucking the internationals and the little stint in Japan as well, you know, to 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 keep that level of consistency is is um, is pretty astonishing as well. And look, well, I say long may it continue. Let's give it a couple more years. It'd be great. To have a bit more good inside. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to the game as a whole. I'm going to ask you a question: Was that a game won by Saracens or a game lost by Sale? Over to you, Matt. Hmm. It was a game not lost by Saracens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we defended brilliantly. Um, I think that is what led us to win the game. I think Sale's attack um, was pretty toothless. I think there were plenty of times when they were battering away with the forwards and if they'd have just chucked it wide, they'd have scored a try and they really should have won that game, especially with us having three yellow cards across the course of the game, being down to 13 for a while of it. Changing your fly half regardless of who's playing there after 10 minutes, that is not an easy thing to do and easy thing to switch just in the middle of the game. So another plus point for uh, for Goody. But yeah, I don't think it was... Um, on another day, Sale should have won that game, really. Um, but I think you have to look at how we... After conceding a penalty try and a yellow card from a, a line-out mall, every other line-out mall was stopped in its tracks. Brilliantly, which is not something you see very often. Sale kicking the ball to the corner. They never scored another try that way again. Um, so, yeah, it was a game won by our defence, I think. Yeah, there was, I think there was the moment in the court, um, so I think it was between sort of the 70th and 75th minute-ish, where we they kicked to the corner down on the sort of the near, near me on the West End. And um, we, we, like you say, Matt, we stopped, we stopped them in their tracks. Okay, we gave away a penalty, which I wasn't sure was a penalty. They kicked to the corner again and they really were on our line and we kept them out in the end, where whoever it was that dived for the line knocked it on. Um, and I I thought at that moment, I never say these things out loud because they've got, you know, they've got a habit of biting you on the arse, haven't they? But I, th- I said to myself in my head, we've just won the game then. That was before we scored the, the final try. I think we'd won that game because Sale just looked absolutely demoralised. They literally thought, what have we got to do to break this team down. I think I think no matter who we would have played, um, the defence would have stayed stayed solid. And considering the amount of players, big defending players that we had out, um, I think the defence was absolutely fantastic on, on Sunday. And um, yeah, and then when we got the ball, we had we we took our opportunities and sale didn't. Very similar to a to a degree again, like we did against Exeter. Exeter had the ball for most of the game. We just took our chances. We did the same against Sale, I think. And, you know, someone said, oh, you know, that try at the end, bit lucky. No, it wasn't. We made our own luck. Cracking kick from Good, spotted the gap again. Of course, you want Tompkins chasing that down. Um, he's putting off Carpenter at the back all day long. Carpenter's all over the shop um, because he's got one eye, one and a half eyes on Tompkins who he's thinking he's going to absolutely destroy me if I grab this ball. Um, of course, he fluffs it. And, of course, Tompkins gets in the perfect position to dot it down. So, all the tries were great. Um, fantastic passing. The, the the pass from the, I think it was for the second try, for McFarlane's try or third try um, from Lizowski. That little, tiny little pass was very, uh, very Farrell-esque. So you want these players, you want your Lizowskis and and, and the likes to, to to step up. And I think there was a lot of players that actually really stepped up. You know, we, I know you're itching to talk about your Theo, Jez, but I'd, I'd like to talk about the other Theo. I thought Theo Dan had a cracker. 
Um, dodgy throw, first one wasn't very good. But apart from that, his throwing was cracking. He's got so much energy. I think he's I think he's a future in England international. I'll say it now. I think he's a, I think he looks the real deal. Well, absolutely, Sam. And I mean, what I was going to just say when he talks about the discipline and everything, and on the face of it, looking at the amount of penalties that were given away, you would say that discipline was an issue. But I think what Saracens did well was that they got yellow carded for bringing down a, a mall from a line out. And then they worked out and the yellow cards that came were for other things. You know, they weren't for cynical fouls as such. Nick Tompkins was unlucky. Elliot, slightly unlucky, although, you know, but it wasn't the cynical things, the, you know, the, the stopping of playing. It was, it was foul play as opposed to cynical play. So what, you know, you, you're absolutely right. Theo McFarland, Callum Hunter-Hill, Second row time. Jackson Ray rolled back the years as much as Alex Goo did. He was just running into things for fun. Um, ben Earl was an absolute monster all over the field. Theo Dan, yeah, absolutely superb. The other guy I felt who was brilliant in attack and defence was Alex Lewington. He got exposed on a couple of occasions, particularly when we were down to 13 men, and he stood up and made his tackles and held on to his tackles. And did a really good job. And then when he was given opportunities in a, in attack, might not have got tries from it, but he got us up the field. And I mean, there was the one, the one in particular was when he came sprinting back uh, from a kick through from Dupre's and swiveled and put the ball out a good 20, 25 metres up the field, which really did get us out of a hole at that point of time. I do think he was absolutely superb. But we do need to speak about Magic Theo. Uh, for the simple reason, two simple reasons. One, Matt's going to have to apologise for, uh, for, uh, for his ludicrous... Uh, <laughs> but I'm going, to make, I'm going to make a statement now, Matt. Just hold your, hold your horses a second. I'm going to make a statement now. I'm old enough to remember the 1995 World Cup semi-final where Jonah Lumu, in 35 minutes, announced himself upon the game of rugby. And I've been excited by players over the intervening period in the last 30-odd years. Richard Hill, you all know, to me, is the greatest player who's played the game. But Jason Robinson, seeing Jason Billy Wiz turn up and do things that no other winger had done before, he excited me. Shane Williams for Wales, another player excited me. But I have not been as excited by a player as I have about Theo McFarland since Jonah Luma. This boy has got the potential to be a game changer and to change the way that players play the game, which Jonah Lumu did. Austin Healy said in commentary, he said, here's an idea. He says, look at him. He says, put him on the wing. He says, he's got the pace. He's got the step. He's got the skill. He's got the, the ability. Put him on the wing and see what he does. And there's a part of me that says, yes, he could do. As also, you know, my viewpoint is that he is going to turn into a, the greatest number eight that's played the game. And, you know, I'll mention it. I, I might have played number eight a couple of times. And I'm putting the offer out there now to Mark McCall that if Theo is to develop as a number eight, which is where he should end up developing, I'll quite happily come along with my little black book and uh, go through the um, the few tablets of stone and a few pointers that he'll need to develop. But 
boy, if he's if he's in that number eight position, making the decisions that he will do with his physicality and with his athleticism, Jesus, that boy's going to take the game of rugby by absolute storm. You finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need to defend myself now. That's the problem. <laughs> well, look, I mean, the first thing I'd say is just leave him alone. He, he's he's playing brilliantly as he is. I think it's, it's difficult to, to to get heads around the fact that actually he's coming to Saracens and he's 27 at the moment, not 22. I think he's in his position now. Let's not try and change the way he plays his game. Um, let's make the most of the next five, six, seven years of Theo McFarland. What I said earlier on in the season was that last year, the issue I had with him is that in big games, he didn't turn up. He went quiet. And I think, Jez, you can probably even say that yourself. His highlights reel was in the games where we were already winning. In the Challenge Cup semi-final, in the Premiership final, he was conspicuous by his absence on the pitch. That has changed this season. He has answered the question that I had of him. Brilliant. He's, he's our, uh, you know, him and Elliot Daly are our two form players. And I think he probably could stick him anywhere on the pitch and he'd do absolutely fine. Um, but I think covering, uh, covering second row and six is, um, is certainly where we need him at the moment because we haven't really got anyone else. <laughs> but it's, um, and, you know, got, I'm going to put another challenge to him now. The, the, last, the final part of his game, is to, to sit down with Maro Itoji and look at how Maro uh, deals with rut time. You learn that defensive part of his game. That, that is it. He's, after that, he is the most complete rugby player, game-changing rugby player in the world. And yeah, I've, I've not been... I don't, you don't say that about many people at all. You look at Shout Brits as a hooker, completely changing the map of what a hooker does. I think Theo McFarland, with, with a couple of changes to his less heralded part of the game, I think he'll, he'll show you what a, what a, uh, a lock slash six could do in rugby. Do you know what, though? I, I, I really want, I don't want to see him playing in the back row. I want to see him playing in the second row. And the reason for that is, is I just think the more athleticism you have in your front five, the more it, it allows you to play the expansive game that we're trying to play. You know, if you've got two Callum Hunter Hills, and I mean that, and like two, you know, two George Cruises in the second row, your traditional kind of grinding second rows, you don't have the all-star, you know, basketball-esque player like the McFarlands of this world able to run around and carry that and take those lines that he's taken in the last few games. He had one off of off of Faz the other week um against Bath. I think he had and he's had one um at the weekend as well where off off Lazowski where you know he's he's just been available um, he's got his timing right on his runs and stuff like that. You know, we we've got other players in the squad that can play back row. We've got some guys in the academy coming through, the likes of your Toby Knights and stuff like that. You've got the athleticism of your Ben Earls, you know, ca- Captain Turnover, I call him, um, who you know who can do the do the running around and stuff. Why not? Why not keep that athleticism in the second row? You know, particularly if he's going to complement the athleticism of Amaro Itoji. You know, is it? I mean, I'm not being funny, but is there a better second row combination in the in the Northern Hemisphere than those two playing next to each other at the moment? Maybe not even World Rugby at the moment. Um, so. You, so that's why that's why I'm so passionate about him playing in the second row because I just think we've got we've got the the speed and the pace in the back row that we're not taking out another 
speedy player to, to accommodate McFarlane in the back row and putting, you know, Tiz, Tizard and uh, Callum Hunter-Hill next to each other, both fantastic second rows, but not offering that same athleticism, you know, stick McFarlane and Itoji in that second row and still have all of the, you know, the all-star qualities that we then have in our back row with a, with Billy and, and, and Ben, et cetera, you know, that allows us to then play that really expansive game of rugby that we're starting to really enjoy watching. And so that's for, for me, Theo, Theo stays as a, as a second row in my in my book, well, it's an interesting, yeah, interesting ways of looking at it. I mean, I would love to see him at the base of the scrum, um, and then obviously, if he does move into the back row, that then gives you the option of having three uh, genuine line-out options. Which you know, so there's swings and roundabouts. There's there's good reasons around everything. I don't think he's ever going to be played on the wing like Austin Healy suggests, but then what Austin Healy suggests people should do in rugby should probably be ignored anyway. So, I mean, that's fair dues, isn't it? Uh, just need to very briefly have a quick chat. Um, the interesting one I've seen, and uh, we'll ask uh, Mr. George, Jamie George, to uh, refute this one. But apparently, according to the uh, the rumour mills going around, is that Clermont uh, have got him for next season. Until the until someone comes out and says Jamie George is going to Clermont, then that's not happening, is it? Surely not. Well, I've, well, I've 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 seen him being quoted on more than one occasion saying, "Why would I ever leave Saracens?" I've I've seen I've seen him write it down. He he loves Saracens, you know. If I if I had a few beers, I'd probably say something stupid like, "You cut him open, he'll bleed red." Bleed red. But um, he's he is Mister Saracens. He doesn't. I, if he leaves, number one, I'll be devastated because I love Jamie George. Um, number two, I would be shocked. Because I just can't see how. He, I mean, he's still he's still in his prime. Why, why would he leave a club that he absolutely loves being at? Um, he's still playing for England. He's still playing for us. I can't see a reason why he would. He's not the kind of guy that's going to love a bit of money. He spent all that time trying to get his best mate Elliot Daly to come over and play for us, and now he's got him here, <laughs> and he wants and he wants to leave. So I can't. I can't. I just can't see it happening. I really hope I'm proven right as well. That would be devastating to lose Jamie George. Absolutely, given given the issues that we might find ourselves with at Hooker, which thankfully Theo Dan appears to have stepped up and plugged that gap. And even Lewis coming on did a pretty good job as well, I felt. So considering he wasn't even in the match day 23 at the start of the day. Look, thank you guys for joining us. I think it's been a, a fabulous chat. And yeah, you know, seven out of seven up. Potentially, are we looking seven reds, seven blacks here? Can we go next week against Bristol away? They're not in great form. Get a win there and then Saints with our internationals all gone. Then we can start dreaming, can't we? But that's for the future. We'll be back with the Fez cast next week on the, um, what is it? On the, the, uh, Oh, 9th of um, November it will be. So well in um, the Autumn International. So we'll have plenty to discuss internationally and domestically. But um, for now, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Matt, for your time on another edition of the Fescast. Cheers. This is the Fescast. Cheers.